Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, you know what that music means. It's time for the memes of the weekend here on Monday, November 1st. NFL Week 8, College Football Week 9, Major League Baseball World Series, which is not really a week, but it's a weekend filled with baseball. We had three of those games, a couple of them with absolutely ridiculous endings and chaos in Game 5. So with that being said, let's roll into the memes of the weekend because we've got a fun episode planned for you. We got our weekly Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award winner to hand out in a truly chaotic fashion this week. We also are going to talk about what happened at the end of the SMU-Houston game, and we're going to laugh at the Pac-12 and ACC as we always do. But first, let's talk about two truly, truly terrible football teams And it's not usually fun to pile on the teams that are absolutely god-awfully terrible. It's more fun to pile on teams that are bad, but their fan bases think that they have expectations. It's more fun that way. Like Jets fans, I don't have beef with Jets fans. They've been defeated across years and years of being Jets fans. The Bears, on the other hand, beef with them. Why? Fanbase has irrational expectations for the team. They really want the team to be good. The team is poorly run, and they continue to be perpetually mediocre across decades. And most of my entire lifetime, apart from one year where they made the NFC Championship and one year that they made the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman when I was five years old. Other than that, Bears, been pretty terrible. Giants, pretty terrible. But the two teams I want to talk about today... The Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions are abjectly putrid. And they've both become kind of frequent flyers here on the memes of the weekend, but more as just like throwaway games that I don't want to talk about. Like last week, both of them ended up on this first segment because they happened to be playing blowout type of games. This time it's for totally different reasons. Like we're laughing at the Texans and the Lions and I forgot who else was there, the, the Eagles Uh, We were laughing at those teams because the NFL scheduled all the terrible games in one block last week. So we were really laughing at the NFL for that decision where they put all the best teams against all the worst teams in one gigantic block. This time I want to laugh at them specifically. And we start with the Houston Texans. Actually, Actually, we'll put them both together here real quick here. So both teams in the third quarter of their games found themselves down 38 to 0. Um, the Lions against the Eagles, which makes it even worse because it's not like the Eagles are a good team. The Eagles are just not as bad as the Detroit Lions. By the way, we had the Eagles in the pick'em pool. I know I didn't update that all the way through on Sunday, but I had both of these games bet on. I had the Eagles minus three and a half, and I had the Rams at minus 16 and a half which, as most people know right now, is a brutal bad beat because the Houston Texans scored 22 points in five minutes to backdoor cover the spread against the Los Angeles Rams, a title only reserved for Nicky Backdoors, Nick Sirianni of the Philadelphia Eagles. But there was no need for that this week because Nick Sirianni elected to kick ass against the Detroit Lions. So both teams were down 38-0 in the third quarter of their games. Now for the Texans stats. 
Uh, first of all, the Houston Texans stadium was 29% filled against the Los Angeles Rams this week. One, it's Halloween, but two, that team is just abjectly terrible. And if you've been following all the Deshaun Watson stuff, they've technically been the moral arbiters on this. And in the Friday news dump, we find out Cal McNair said an anti-Asian slur at a speech that got got audible gasps out of the crowd. And it's the, the old-timey owner thing that Bob McNair and Cal McNair have now in store, Bob McNair being his father who passed away recently, who was the inmates running the asylum guy, which ended up creating a controversy because that seems to be who the Houston Texans are at this point. Uh, even for acceptance or not, they're also the franchise that basically has a team pastor in a position of significant power, despite the fact they're wholly unqualified to hold that position because of their connection to the owner, i.e. Jack Easterby of Easterby's 11, how a team chaplain stole an NFL franchise or staged a coup of an NFL franchise. Um, it's kind of incredible how that story's gone on. So the Texans are who they are, but let's laugh at that. So 29% filled for the game for the Houston Texans. At the time, it was 38-0. The Houston Texans' leading rusher was Philip Lindsay with eight rushing yards. Eight goddamn rushing yards was the leading rusher for the Houston Texans at that point in the game. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. It's unfathomable. I was laughing hysterically when I saw that as a real thing. It was truly, truly unbelievable that that was the case. The Houston Texans at one point when they were down 38-0 to had this statistic be a 100% real thing. It changed when they scored 22 points, but... With Tyrod Taylor playing this season, and he might be back next week to turn this thing around for the Texans, Tyrod Taylor is quarterback. The Texans have a plus 14 plus minus. They've scored 14 more points than their opponents when Tyrod Taylor plays. When Tyrod Taylor does not play, at that point, they were negative 162 in six games. Five and a half if you're being more specific because Tyrod Taylor technically played part of that game against the Browns in week two. Minus 162 in six games. You know what that averages out to? 27 goddamn points a game. The Texans, before that 22-point stretch that backdoor covered and broke my heart, had 20 seven point margin of defeat with Davis Mills as their quarterback that's genuinely unbelievable because every week you have maybe one two at the most blowout games like that the Texans are that team every single week losing by 27 damn points a week it's truly Truly unbelievable. Another fun stat around that. The Houston Texans, before that backdoor cover, had scored eight points in four games. The Houston Astros, in the first four games of the World Series, scored 11 runs. They outscored them in Game 5 of the World Series for the entire damn month of October. If you take out the one game against the Patriots... Four games in October, shutout against the Bills, three points against the Colts, five points against the Cardinals, 
Zero in the first three quarters against the Rams. They had eight points in four games. The Astros outscored them in game five. In game five of the World Series, the Houston Astros outscored the Houston Texans for the entire month. They scored more points in that one game than the Houston Texans did in any of those games before that point. I know the Texans backdoor covered at the very end with 22 points in five minutes. If you take out those five minutes in four games in October, the Texans scored eight points. Genuinely unbelievable how bad that team is. Which brings us to the Lions, who are not quite in the territory of the 2019 Bengals, who I still attest are the greatest 0-10 team in the history of the NFL. But damn if the Lions aren't getting close. Because the Lions, they're bad. You can't be 0-8 without being bad. But they're not that bad. Lions aren't that bad. Today was a rough day for them, no doubt. Jared Goff checked down, or sorry, Jared Goff threw the ball away on a 4th and 11. And the week before that, he threw the ball away on a 4th and 4. And got called out by his coach and then almost beat the Rams. Like, they've been so close. They should have one of these chaos wins like the Jets. They should have one of these chaos wins. They basically did. The Ravens, they had them beat. (laughs) And then the league blew that call, or the referees blew that call at the very end that gave the Ravens a fourth down conversion and then kicked a 66-yard field goal. And then they were beating the Vikings and Kirk Cousins' purgatory happened. Like, the Lions should have won a game already this year. They just find the most heartbreaking ways to lose football games. This one being no different for them. By the way, the Lions lost this game with Jalen Hurts only throwing the ball 14 times for 103 yards. It's crazy. Only 103 yards. Why? Because they ran the ball the entire game. They didn't even, they scored 44 points just running the ball and forcing turnovers. Jared Goff didn't even have a pick in the game. They just had fumbles too. Like it, they, all they did was just force turnovers and run the ball, and they got 44 points on the Lions. Don't even know how that's possible. The Philadelphia Eagles finished with 234 rushing yards, scored 44 points, couldn't even get to Urban Meyer's goal of 250-250, and wow, it was impeccable how poorly the Detroit Lions played in this game, which is going to happen sometimes. It, It doesn't tell us the Lions are abjectly terrible. We knew the Lions were bad before this. But these blowout-type games don't necessarily tell you as much about a team either way. You can kind of walk away and say, well, we didn't learn very much about the Lions in this game, other than the fact that Jared Goff is a pretty mediocre quarterback. But again, we didn't learn that today. We, We already knew that, and he's been set up to fail. Also, the fact that if you take away DeAndre Swift's longest run of the game, which was seven yards, he had 11 carries for 20 yards against the Philadelphia Eagles, and then his backup got a touchdown, and that was the end of something Jefferson had an eight-yard run to end the game, and that was the way to not get a zero. A lot of teams trying to fight for not getting zero today. The Texans scored 22 points in five minutes after scoring zero for the first, what was that, 52 minutes of the game. Um, the Jaguars went for it on fourth down and got a backdoor cover, and then Urban Meyer kicked an extra point even though he was down six or he was down 24-6. It didn't matter anyways, but kicking the extra point was just dumb because it doesn't mean anything. So he just decided I'd rather save a two-point conversion play and just kick an extra point than go for two and maybe make it a two-possession game, which didn't matter because it was like three minutes left. But it's just 
going for it on fourth down in the aggressive fashion and then just conceding a field goal or an extra point at the very end was dumb. And then, of course, we have the Lions who avoided that blanking with a last second touchdown when they were already down 44 to zero. So Texans and Lions, good Lord, you are bad at football. Good Lord, it was bad today. And there are so many fun stats that it just needed to be an entire segment of Memes of the Weekend, which is part of what Memes of the Weekend is for. Hilarious stats about teams that are terrible because we can make fun of them. It is time for five little things. This is a segment I love doing here because there are lots of funny observations that happen over the weekend that I don't want to forget about because they're really funny. And sometimes it's fun to laugh at things here on the podcast. And so this is why we have memes of the weekend is so we can laugh at funny things like this. And then I would just not name random things for my notes that I enjoyed from the weekend and wanted to turn that into a small little segment here. So here are five little things. Number one is not so much a little thing, but a longer thing that I wanted to talk about. In the modern offensive NFL, where wide receivers off the line can't be touched for five yards and it creates larger separation and all the rules are reconfigured to protect the quarterbacks because Tom Brady tore his ACL in 2009 and in 2015, half the quarterbacks got hurt to start the season and so we need to protect the quarterbacks that are hugely financially profitable for the NFL All the rule changes to incentivize offense and increase scoring because that ends up selling more than these sludge fest games of teams never doing anything and Frank Beamer celebrating a 0-0 tie as they go into overtime in a Virginia Tech Wake Forest game. All of that to say, there is no better way to push back against the offensive revolution in football than with Taylor Heineke and Teddy Bridgewater playing the fourth game of four in a terrible afternoon window because Washington and Denver was maybe the worst football game ever. And we said this earlier in the season, not uh, ironically talking about the Carolina Panthers and Houston Texans game where both teams were terrible, just terrible. And the game was never close and never interesting. And in fairness to Washington and Denver, it probably wasn't as bad as that game because there were stakes at the end of the game. But at the same time, I feel like it's only fair that both teams get a loss coming out of that one because both of those teams are so horrific on offense. And in fairness to Denver, they are middle of the pack in DVOA this year on offense. They're about as good as the Patriots have been. Team, you know, kind of predicated on the running game, doing just enough to get by. You know, they haven't been abjectly terrible this year, but Washington is terrible on offense. Uh, They are right now 27th in DVOA in the NFL. Only worse than them is Houston, the Jets, the Carolina Panthers, the Chicago Bears, and the Detroit Lions, which is somehow crazy because Miami sucks, the Giants suck, Atlanta sucks, the Jaguars suck, but they don't suck as much as Washington does on offense because Washington is awful. And both these teams are built on their defenses. So when you have terrible offense and terrible and really good defense, you have both teams kind of doing a Spider-Man meme of each other, and it's just punt after punt after punt. 
and nobody can score any points because both these teams have good defenses and awful offenses. And it's just 10-10 all the way through. Nobody's ever interesting at all. The Broncos finally get a big play because the Washington defense isn't as good as last year's Washington defense. And they end up going up 17-10. And Heineke's trying to drive and win the game and have a Kirk Cousins purgatory moment. But you never want Taylor Heineke in Kirk Cousins purgatory. And so they turn the ball over at the goal line. And Denver, just trying to run clock fumbles the ball with 22 seconds left in the game on their own 30-yard line, and I just can't stop laughing when I see this. I just can't stop laughing at the fact that Washington had lost the game. Denver just needed a first down. They couldn't get the first down running the ball because both those offenses are just constipated, and they fumble in the only thing you cannot do in that situation, because at the very least you're going to punt back to Heineke, and Heineke's got like 10 seconds to do a lateral play. The literal only thing you can't do is fumble the ball in that situation. Take a goddamn knee. Who cares? You're just killing clock. And it was awful. And Washington got the ball, and that was awful. And it led to Heineke just throwing up a Hail Mary out the back of the end zone. He didn't even have a chance to complete the Hail Mary. It just went through the back of the end zone to end the game. It was just horrific. Denver has been playing those fourth games out of four during the red zone for six years now. The game was 0-0 with like 10 minutes left in the second quarter. And I felt like this is Washington and Denver football for seven years. Seven consecutive years. It's just 0-0, mediocre, terrible football, and this is the game we deserve in the early block, or in the late block, fourth game. We're all watching the Bucks and Saints. If you're on the Red Zone channel, it keeps popping into this game, but this is a game that exists so you can go watch only one game in the afternoon block, and today that happened to be Bucks and Saints. And that's not exactly the game we were maybe hoping for as the singular good game in the afternoon block. But man, anything to not have to watch that Washington-Denver game would have sufficed, at least on the Red Zone channel. Man, that was a bad game. Maybe not the worst of all time. I might have jumped the gun at the beginning, but boy, that was a bad football game. Two, the end of the SMU-Houston game, which was absolutely fantastic i'd like to play the audio of the last play of this game because it is at this moment a tie game 37 37 smu has just scored a touchdown with 12 seconds left tie the game getting ready to send it into overtime and this happened jones may say guys if they kick it to me hold the phone and they're doing just that he's going to take it two yards deep Look at this. He had eight career kick returns for touchdowns. Make it nine. Marcus Jones. A kickoff return, 102 yards. Houston wins. SMU's perfect season is over chaos three the titans colts game ended with a 
field goal in overtime for the Titans. And one of the great moments was the Indianapolis Colts mascot banging his head on the side of the goalpost after the kick goes through. Uh, This is always a fun thing whenever moments like that happen is mascots that are upset. Uh, There's that Falcons mascot that looks like he's going to murder you or has actively murdered multiple people uh, with his beady eyes. That Falcons mascot being upset when he gets a game-winning field goal made on him. There's the famous on the double doink where the Chicago Bears mascot falls to the ground in anguish, but his face is still smiling, and it's a super funny thing. Um, It's always great when mascots get involved like that, and the Colts mascot banging his head on the side of the goalpost was excellent. Four, maybe the best play of the day was Justin Fields on fourth and one, reversing Fields, splitting two defenders, and scoring the game-tying touchdown for the Chicago Bears. It's like a 24-yard run. It was the best moment of Justin Fields' career thus far. It was a fantastic moment that had me literally going, wow. And I've mostly done that for Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert this year, but it was a wow moment for Justin Fields. And we thought it was going to tie the game. And then the Bears kicker, Cairo Santos, who had been 37 straight kicks made, missed the extra point. They were down one. Jimmy Garoppolo scored a touchdown to make it eight. The Bears would not score again because that offense is putridly bad. And I laughed for 45 consecutive straight seconds when that extra point did not go in partially at the Chicago Bears but just also the perfect dichotomy of Justin Fields is playing so well and yet you're still bleeping things up for him it was just chef's kiss on our Chicago Bears hatred by the way Chicago Bears finished with 140 more passing yards than they did under um, Matt Nagy's average Uh, they finished with Eight more points than the average on the season, which was 14. They scored 22 without Matt Nagy there for COVID purposes, and I would like to let that hang out there for even more of a reason why Matt Nagy should not be the coach of the Chicago Bears anymore. I know he got COVID now, so that would be kind of messed up, but you've got the free pass, Chicago. Season's pretty much over. You've got three wins, but we know your team is bare booty ass cheeks. You got the chance now, if you want to, to get rid of them. Five. Is it a good day for your team if your kicker is the one leading your team in fantasy points? I feel like that can almost never be a good day for your team because I saw that on the NFL Red Zone today with the Carolina Panthers. I'm like, that can't be good, right? If Zane Gonzalez, you won the game, but is it really good if your kicker is your leader in fantasy points because Zane Gonzalez had four field goals and an extra point and one of them was from 50 plus yards? Like, it can't be a great day for your team if your kicker is the number one person in fantasy points. So just thought I'd put that out there, that Zane Gonzalez scored pretty much all of the Carolina Panthers points. And that was the the punch line on the end of a truly terrible game that ends up being the Panthers breaking a four-game losing streak, but also we know that offense is terrible. Actually, apparently worse than the Washington football team, which I was surprised by when I looked at the DVOA ratings it is time for us to award the philip rivers memorial purgatory award of the week which is not the correct way to say that it is the philip rivers purgatory memorial award because 
every week we award someone who ended up going in a position down eight, no timeouts, length of the field, one minute left to go, as Philip Rivers did for basically every game of his NFL career. This week's award winner is, without a doubt, not Kirk Cousins for the second week in a row, which is the odd second time that we have not awarded this award to Kirk Cousins. It is to Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz, I can think of no one finer to deserve this award this week, because not only did Carson Wentz find himself in Kirk Cousins slash Philip Rivers purgatory, Carson Wentz also did it by putting himself in that position by throwing for the second week in a row just a god-awful pick six. God-awful pick six in a tie game under two minutes to go, avoiding taking the sack in the end zone. He tossed the ball right to a Titans defender right at the line of scrimmage that ended up being a pick six for the Titans and felt like one of those moments we could laugh at, but then we forgot about it because Carson Wentz then led them down the field with one timeout and a minute 30 to go, and scored the game-tying touchdown, went to overtime, had the ball, didn't score, gave it to the Titans. Titans went down, kicked the game-winning... Or, sorry, Titans gave it back to the Colts. Carson Wentz threw a pick in overtime, his third turnover of the day after he had a streak of the longest consecutive pass passes without an interception. Threw three today, and uh, Carson Wentz... Not only blows the game for the Colts, but blows any chance of the Indianapolis Colts making the playoffs in 2021 because they have now lost twice to the Titans. The Titans are 6-2. The Colts are 3-4. The Titans are going to win that division. They have officially, in my book, locked in the fourth seed in the AFC. Uh, they will. They do have a very easy schedule, but I assume they'll lose one of those to the Jaguars or the Texans, given how the Titans have gone so far this year. The Titans will be the four seed in the playoffs. They will lose a wild card game. Even if they're the three seed, they'll still lose a wild card game, probably by like 17 points. It'll be played on ESPN because that's what the AFC South exists for. They will be the four seed, play a meaningless wild card game on ESPN, and they will lose. But the Titans locked in that playoff spot with still two months to go. I think the Titans should probably just not play the rest of the games this season and get ready for that 17-point loss in the wild card. So Carson Wentz, much congratulations to you. You very much deserve the Kirk Cousins slash Philip Rivers Purgatory Award for week number eight. And a congratulations to Kirk Cousins, who, who put up a valiant effort to try and get in back on track this week. Kirk Cousins has won the award a record five times already here this season, but we award it for the first time to our buddy Carson Wentz for the rare pick six to put himself in Philip Rivers Memorial Philip Rivers Purgatory. Eventually, I'll get that right, or maybe I'll just keep saying it wrong because it's funny that I keep saying it wrong every single time we try and award the Philip Rivers Purgatory Memorial Memorial Award. Philip Rivers. And finally, we conclude this week's podcast for memes of the weekend with how did the Pac-12 and ACC bleep things up this week? Because every week it's funny to laugh at those two conferences who are not allowed to have a good team this year. 
Wake Forest is finally going to make it into the top 10 as our one shining emblem of just how shit the ACC is, is that Wake Forest is going to be their shiny emblem for how they're going to make it to the college football playoff, who, by the way, for those who may not know, Wake Forest is presently 8-0. This year will be the first time that Wake Forest has had a season where they do not finish between 3 and 8 wins since 2005. 17 damn seasons Wake Forest has finished between three and eight wins and congratulations they will probably eclipse that this year although and can't be too certain Wake Forest plays North Carolina next week and that's a classic trap game for the ACC so you may remember two weeks ago we talked about the Pitt Panthers the Pitt Panthers beat Virginia Tech who was the gold standard in the ACC at the time they had remained undefeated in conference play And then they lost a home game to the University of Miami this weekend. They were undefeated in conference play. Their only loss of the season was to Western Michigan. Because, of course, Pitt's only loss of the season was against Western Michigan. But now they lose to the University of Miami. Still technically control their own destiny in the ACC Coastal. But it was, a t- it was Pitt's turn to be the team on the mountain. They took down Virginia Tech, who was previously the mountain. And then they beat... Uh, they won that, got to the mountaintop, and then lost to the University of Miami, who doesn't technically yet become the mountaintop, but they're still pretty close. All they need is another win, because last week they beat NC State, this week they beat Pitt, which means Miami is set up to be the next team to lose, and they play a home game against Georgia Tech next week. That should be one that I would bet Georgia Tech all the way through. Speaking of Georgia Tech... You may remember that we just mentioned Virginia Tech, also in the ACC Coastal. Well, Virginia Tech's turn to come back around happened this week. They beat Georgia Tech. Were they favored against Georgia Tech? Yes, they were. But had Georgia Tech been the team that was slowly trying to become the gold standard? Yes, they also were. But now Georgia Tech gets to be a middle-of-the-pack ACC Coastal team because North Carolina was supposed to be good this year, and they suck, and Duke was supposed to suck, and they actually do suck, so that's the one consistent part. But Duke has pulled off the upset already once this year. Maybe they'll do it again. Also, just shout-out to Virginia real quick. I know Virginia wasn't playing an ACC opponent this week, and they lost a game they were supposed to lose to BYU, but in the second quarter of Virginia and BYU... The score was 45 to 42. I can't believe that's a thing that happened. It was 45 to 42. Correction, 45 42 with 13 minutes left in the third quarter. Virginia scored 35 points in the second quarter and lost by 17. Think about that. Virginia scored five touchdowns in a single quarter. And still lost by 17 points. 66-49 was the final score there. Now we move to the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 had themselves a hell of a weekend. You may remember Washington State. They fired Nick Rolovich a couple weeks ago. We talked about that on the podcast because he wouldn't get vaccinated. And so... Rolovich leaves and Washington State proceeds to beat first place in the ace in the Pac-12 South, the Arizona State Sun Devils. And now they find themselves one win away from being ahead of Oregon and the team that was predicted to finish sixth in the preseason in the Pac-12 North winning 
the Pac-12 North. They just have to beat Oregon, and I'm not saying it's totally out of the realm of possibility yet. So first place Arizona State in the Pac-12 South loses to Washington State. Uh, Oregon State, remember them? They pulled off three consecutive upsets. They're going to go to a bowl game this year. Lost to the 2-5 and five Cal Golden Bears this week. Oregon State was 3-1 and one in conference play up to this point. Not anymore. They lose to Cal because that's just what happens sometimes in the Pac-12. The team that's in second place loses to the team in fifth place, and then they become third, and then another team moves up to second, and the second-place team loses to the fifth-place team, and it works in a cycle. Washington State just did it to Arizona State. Cal just did it to Oregon State. It happens in cycles quite a bit. Oregon State did it to Utah the week before. Utah was the favorites in the Pac-12 South, and then they lost to Oregon State. By the way, Utah beat UCLA this week, who almost beat Oregon the week before. So UCLA, who at one point thought they were going to make it to the Alamo Bowl, now finds themselves 5-4 and four after losing to Utah, who is now 5-3. and three. Who does Utah play next week? Stanford, and I would expect Stanford to win that one. Why do I expect Stanford to win that one? Because the same Stanford team that beat Oregon, when they were ranked number three in the country, scored 13 points against the University of Washington. And in fairness to Stanford, this wasn't even that first loss for them because they lost to Washington State the week after they lost to Oregon. It's very hard to follow this in the Pac-12, but that's intentionally why we do this is because it's impossible to follow just how shit the Pac-12 is and how all the teams beat each other up because they're all mediocre and none of it matters at all. So very difficult to follow. Everyone had a rough week. And also we got the massive victory of Arizona still being winless because I believe that Arizona can get to 0-12. They've got four games left. They can do it. One month left. Arizona can defy all the odds. No one is allowed to go undefeated in the Pac-12. Nobody is allowed to go winless in the Pac-12, and I believe Arizona can defy all the odds and go 0-12. Put a little scare in us this week. They were winning, or I'm sorry, they were losing, but trying to come back against USC. They at one point cut it to 8 with 4 minutes to go. They got the ball to win the game. They put a little scare in us, but don't worry. USC prevailed. Arizona still remains winless. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Memes of the Weekend podcast, and thank you for stopping in here to take it easy all throughout the week. We'll talk baseball on Tuesday, I promise you. I know that this is a football Monday and a Memes of the Weekend thing. I promise you, we'll talk baseball on Tuesday and maybe on Wednesday. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But in the meantime, make sure to download all of the archived episodes here on the Take It Easy podcast. We are resetting the month, so we are resetting our analytics So thank you to everyone who stopped in here today. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Take it easy.